Well, we've been working our way through <clears throat> this, um, this idea of the Christian engaging culture. We've looked at four topics. This will be our fifth. We looked at, uh, the first was uh, homosexuality and how Christians should engage that biblically, faithfully, compassionately, but boldly. We looked at the idea of uh, the, the issue of abortion and how Christians should think about that biblically and uh, compassionately. looked at race relations uh, and politics last week. I'm glad that you guys are back after maybe we offended people on both sides of the aisle on that. And today we're going to be looking at this idea of this digital world that we live in and how often that is a subtle and dangerous and very nuanced and hard to... <laughs> I knew something was up. I love it. I love it. Okay, thank you. Um, and anyway, as I was saying, um, this, this idea of... Uh, this dangerous, subtle nuance of social media. Well done, Will, my youth pastor, and my son, and uh, an elder son, Benito Counts. Good job, guys. All right, so um, here's what I want to do. I want to start off by reading from Philippians chapter 4, and uh, just to orient our hearts, um, and then uh, Ephesians chapter 5, just a couple verses. This is what Paul writes to the church. And uh, to us, the Holy Spirit writes to us, listen to these words. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is telling us, orient our minds on good and noble and just and, and praiseworthy things. And then another letter that Paul writes to the, another church, the Ephesian church, and the Holy Spirit writes to us. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Some uh, translations say, therefore, don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So with that, let's launch into our look at uh, uh, social media, the Christian and culture. I've kind of broken it down into three things that we're going to look at. Spend most of our time on number one, pitfalls of social media. Then we're going to look at some positive uses. Certainly, we want to redeem it. And then thirdly, practical encouragements, and, and hopefully we'll have, Lord willing, some good discussion and questions um, as we go. So pitfalls, nine pitfalls of uh, social media that, that uh, has kind of been running around in my mind, and these are not, you know, official, or they're just thoughts and meditations of, as I've been thinking about this, some pitfalls of social media. The first pitfall, and when we talk about social media, I have in this, in mind, Things like Facebook and Twitter, we just got tweeted out. Thank you guys, that's wonderful. Um, you guys can tweet back with Will on that twit or whatever it was. <laughs> I don't even know the words. Um, Instagram, Snapchat, um, just this whole digital world of interaction with other people. And, and Will told me today, he said, I was going to talk about different apps maybe that we should be aware of. And he says, you know, you almost don't want to name 
different apps that parents maybe need to be aware of, and we're not necessarily talking just about that aspect of social media, because the moment, I mean, it's just obsolete, the moment people figure out how to guard against one thing, something else rises up, so, but just all of this world of where people are connected with one another through the digital uh, internet social media world. So pitfall number one is that it distracts and diverts us from paying attention to one another and paying attention uh, to, to the Lord. On the, back of, uh, on the back of your sheet, I've written, uh, I've copied some quotes that I think might be helpful. Blaise Pascal, a very famous French Christian philosopher in the 1600s, said that, he, he, this quote, he says, I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. And then below that, Peter Kreeft, who is a Catholic professor of philosophy, um, he used to be a Protestant, actually uh, converted to Catholicism. Um, I think I, I would have issues with that, so not everything that he writes would necessarily be what I would line up with. But he has written some really helpful things on just how uh, we and how the, the, just the human soul is so diverted by technology. And he says, then I'll just kind of read some of it to you. We ought to have much more time, more leisure than our ancestors did because technology, which is the most obvious and radical difference between their lives and ours, is essentially a series of time-saving devices like our phones and computers. In ancient societies, if you were rich, you had slaves to do the menial work so that you could be freed to enjoy your leisure time. Life was like a vacation for the rich because the poor slaves were their machines. But now that everyone has slave substitutes, machines or cell phones, why doesn't everyone enjoy the leisurely, vacation lifestyle of the ancient rich? Why have we killed time instead of saving it? We, and this is important, I think out of insecurity, which we're going to get to in a moment, we actually subconsciously, I think, want to complexify our lives. We don't have to, we want to. We want it to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole, that's supposed to be hole, that's a, that's a typo, the hole in our hearts, and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. So we run around like conscientious little bugs, scared rabbits, dancing attendants on our machines, our slaves, and making them our masters. We think we want peace and silence and freedom and leisure, but deep down we know that this would be unendurable to us like a dark and empty room without distractions. Where, where we would be forced to confront ourselves. And this last paragraph is stinging. If you are typically modern, your life is like a mansion with a terrifying hole right in the middle of the living room floor. So you paper over the hole with a very busy wallpaper pattern to distract yourself. You find a rhinoceros in the middle of your house. The rhinoceros is wretchedness and death. How in the world can you hide a rhinoc- rhinoceros? Easy. Cover it with a million mice. Multiple diversions. And I think that that very stingingly identifies the modern soul. That we are so distracted and diverted, not necessarily because life has become busier, but because we want to be distracted because if we were left, as Pascal says, in a room by ourselves, we would have to confront the reality of some of this emptiness in our own soul. And the social, social media distracts us and diverts us from being able to pay attention. I have noticed, now maybe it might be because I'm getting a little older and I'm in my mid-40s now and I need reading glasses, 
But I have noticed recently um, over the past few years that I have been much more involved in just having a smartphone and social media that I have to fight for my attention span to kind of stay on point. Now, Robert and Will would argue that it's because I'm getting old. I get that. But I think it has something to do with the fact that I'm so sort of distracted by, by my phone, by social media, by, you know, that email from uh, an expatriate in Nigeria that wants to give me $8 million if I will just send my account information, you know, just all these urgent emails. We're distracted. It distracts and diverts us. Secondly is that um, I think, and this is probably something that we, we don't think about on the surface, but it, I think social media encourages a low view of authority. Uh, we were talking about this uh, earlier today, and, and Will Hawk said that on the internet or on Facebook, when somebody asks for advice, everyone is an expert, and actual experts are morons. <laughs> and I thought, you know, Will, that really says it all, right? We're, where we, we get advice from this world out there, and we scorn stuff that we don't want to hear, and everyone has an opinion, and everybody's, you know, this notion that everyone is, is, is of equal worth and value and essence before the Lord is absolutely true. But this notion that I think subliminally we take to social media, tweets, Facebook posts, whatever, that everyone has an opinion that should be valued equally is false. Can we just admit that? I mean, some people don't know what they're talking about. And some people should not be listened to. But the internet and social media is the great equalizer. It gives knuckleheads a bunch, a, a platform to talk. And, um, and it, it encourages, I think, a, a low view of people who are actual authorities. And of course, that doesn't mean that we don't need to exercise discernment that just because somebody is an expert in something that we should just go along with what they say. But I think the average citizen out there just kind of tends to, if it's out there, it must be true. And uh, it encourages a low view of people who actually know what they're talking about. Thirdly, and this is where I think it really kind of whittles down into the soul, is that it breeds insecurity. Um, I think this is especially true amongst well, I, I was about to say young people and maybe even young women, but I, I, I don't want to categorize that. I think that's a false, um, I think that's unfair to say that. I think it, it, it breeds insecurity in, in, I think we're all vulnerable to this. Um, I heard a, a guy, Angelo, is here tonight, I think Farius from our community group, and he was talking about this idea of just living for, you know, likes. You post something on, you tweet something, you post something on the Facebook, and you're just living for... You know, what, essentially you're just kind of screaming, what do people think of me? Is anybody out there paying attention to what I have to say? Uh, Danielle Count sent me an article, uh, 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 a write-up in a magazine about a young lady who's probably in her late teens, early 20s, a uh, very pretty girl who uh, over the past couple of years had built this Instagram image and profile where she just had like hundreds of thousands. She's just a regular kid, not famous, not you know, anybody like a rock star or music star. But she had built, because of her persona that she had built for herself and taking kind of sultry pictures of her looking, you know, kind of attractive and even modeling clothes, she had built this this followership of hundreds of thousands of people. 
And she realized that it was just eating away at her soul because she was uh, on a great and grand scale, much more than any of us, but she was living for the perception of what people thought of her in this social media world. And, and it, it is just this, this thing that eats at our soul. Now, of course, none of us may have that type of platform or, or, or that type of exposure, but I think we all are vulnerable to um, putting a, an image of ourselves out there that we're just kind of wanting people to validate. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great British uh, thinker, uh, has this essay called The Inner Ring. On the back page, I wrote this, I copied this quote, and it's, in his, it's a chapter in his book um, the, uh, called The Weight of Glory. And he speaks about this inner ring in human society where, and the inner ring exists on so many different levels. It's this, it's this thing that we kind of want to be part of that makes us feel validated as human beings, like we're okay, people like us, I'm thought of well by other people. And he calls that, that, that thing, that invisible force of social interaction, the inner ring. And he says this, often the desire to be part of this inner ring, whatever it is, itself conceals itself so well that we hardly recognize the pleasures of fruition. Men tell not only their wives but themselves that it is a hardship to stay late at the office or the school on some bit of important extra work which they have been let in on for be, uh, which they have been let in for because they and so and so and two others are the only people left in the place who really know how things run. But it is not quite true. It is a terrible bore of course when old fatty Smithton draws you aside and whispers, look here, we've got to get you in on this examination somehow, or Charles and I saw at once that you've got to be on this committee. A terrible bore, ah. But how much more terrible if you were left out. It is tiring and unhealthy to lose your Saturday afternoons, but to have them free because you don't matter, that is much worse. And I think that we are all vulnerable to this, this idea that just, what does the world think of me? And social media gives us these platforms to really be judged, uh, I think, wrongly. So it breeds insecurity. Fourth, another pitfall of social media is I think it makes it easy or easier to assume the worst. I think this is particularly true um, about some of the racial tensions that we see in our country, right? Maybe see some post about something that's happened in some neighborhood and you just you know, some kind of conservative, sort of crazy right-wing thing just posts something about all these statistics, and it's just easy to share it, just kind of assume the worst. Uh, I think politically it's easy to assume the worst about particular candidates. There's something about being by yourself in a room or in a car that just makes anger and rage come easier, doesn't it? This thing, you know, this idea of road rage? I think that there is a, a sort of kind of cousin of it is like internet or social media rage, right? I can, I've told you before about the time when I was, you know that Publix there um, where the, uh, Publix is and then there's the dry cleaner right by Publix? You know what I'm talking about? A couple of years ago, actually it's been about 10 years ago, I was wanting to drop off some um, dry cleaning at that dry cleaners where you kind of pull around to the left and it, you're kind of having to go against the flow of traffic there because if people are coming from like on Whitesville Road, kind of pulling in like b- behind Panera and they come around the back way of Publix, that's really kind of there in the right lane, kind of hugging the, the drop-off window for the dry cleaner. 
But if you don't want to get out of your car, you kind of hug the edge of the building, right? And so I was, I, was, I was creeping around because I knew that I didn't want to hit somebody if they were coming that way. And this, well, an elderly lady was driving a car and she was where she should be. And I was kind of there hugging the corner in front of the dry cleaner. And I was letting her pass because I was telling her I was driving left. I, mean, I was going to pull left there. And she she kind of gave me a disgusted look because I was trying to get in the wrong side of the, the lane right there. But she gave me a disgusted look while she had a, she was holding the steering wheel with one hand and she had a dog perched on her shoulder. And I am in my car, she's in her car, and she gives me this disgusting look like, oh, you are the bane of society that you would want to turn left right here. So I'm like, go, go ahead. I started out sweet. Go ahead. And she looks at me like, ugh, rolls her eyes. And because I sensed her raged, rage, I gave her a little bit of my own. When she gave me her, ugh, I, was, I started, you, got a, you have a dog on your shoulder. <laughs> now if we had been... So I'm probably 20 feet away from this lady. She's looking at me like I am a, 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 a you know, a, the, a felon that just escaped from prison. And, I, and I'm pointing, you got a dog on your shoulder. Because we were encapsulated in little metal cages 15 feet apart from each other. We would never have done that if we were like... Like, if there were no metal cages around us called cars and we were standing, I would never. Right. But there's something weird about being alone. And it's even more amplified when it's just you staring at your phone or in front of a computer screen or whatever. It's just something sinful about our Genesis 3 nature where we just are prone to assume and fill in the blanks with the worst possible scenario. We, we, are, we are gracious with our own motivations and super critical with what we perceive to be other people's, aren't we? Can't, thank you, Scotty. You and I are the only ones that are uh, convicted on this, right? I mean, that's just, it is, just makes it easier to assume the worst. Um, so that's a, a pitfall of, of social media. Fifth, I think it encourages uh, shallow connectedness and a lack of physical presence in relationships. Um, I think we need to realize that, 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 that the, you know, God became a man. He became flesh. Jesus became, he took on the likeness of sinful flesh. He became a perfect human. And um, it, I can remember uh, years ago, uh, during the early years of Crosspoint, that I was having a conversation with a young person who was going through a very severe relational um, trial with their boyfriend and she was sitting in my office over at the old point and she was talking about how she was conveying to me this conversation and she was saying well he said this and then I said this and then just kind of going back for about five minutes I was listening trying to track with the conversation and I said well, wait a minute how did he say that like what like what what was his demeanor when he said that and she goes oh no 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 we, we were texting the whole time right and there's just so much that's lost in communication when we're not physically present with one another and it it just makes our connectedness shallow and Human relationships were meant to be uh, incarnational. We're meant to be in person, and, and it, just, it just inhibits that in a lot of ways. 
Sixth, it, it fuels deception, and not only deception of other people, but it fuels, um, it fuels self-deception. It's just very easy. We've talked about this before. It's just very easy, and it's very tempting to put out an image on a Facebook profile or an Instagram picture that is not really you. And in fact, Instagram gives you about 30 different little editing options that will make your pimply face not so pimply. Right? And, and it's, just, it's just, I mean, I'm not against doctrine pictures, but I'm just saying, notice what, what it subtly is teaching us is that it's, it's making us try and put a prettier or more successful or more happy or more put-together version of ourselves to an on-looking world. And here's sort of the flip side of it. Is we just, it's almost like we, we're so insecure we don't have a balance on this. Either I think sometimes we're caught up in putting up sort of false, like everything's awesome in my life, or sometimes we're tempted to go the other way and just say, I'm just really jacked up. Let me just show you how it really is in the Evangelista household. Here's my kids running around like complete idiots. Hashtag keeping it real. But in a strange sort of way, my hashtag keeping it real is actually me trying to sometimes let everybody know that I'm kind of being awesome because I'm keeping it real. You see the subtle traps that exist for us? We just, we just have to be aware of how um, it, it can grip our heart and, and we just want people to see our lives. Uh, when actually maybe all of our lives aren't intended to be seen publicly. Seven, it distorts our notion of beauty and robs our appreciation of the ordinary. And this is kind of connected to the previous one. Um, I think uh, this is one area where I do, th- I, I think both men and women, uh, it sort of happens to them differently. Um, for, for women, I think, uh, I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure to if, if a picture is taken of something in your house or your kids, it just has to be kind of put together and Pinteresty and Etsy looking and just sort of cool. And you know, don't we just sort of judge sort of the digital world like by how cool the font is and the website is, you know? And if it doesn't look cool and if there don't seem to be kind of, you know, really hipster put together fashion sort of minded people with a good font and good graphics on a website that just we just write it off and we're just prone to being geared towards only paying attention to things that seem sharp or beautiful and that robs our appreciation of the ordinariness of life and for women I think it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on them to present an aesthetic that is just matches that digital world. And for men, I think it, it programs us to a faux and false notion of beauty, whether it's an aesthetic or whether it's, it's women, because everybody's kind of putting on a sort of faux beauty out there, and men oftentimes then are easily dissatisfied with their regular messy world or their wife or girlfriend who doesn't, always look like the Instagram edited picture of the people they see online all the time. And over the course of time, 
subconsciously, it grips our hearts and distorts our notion of beauty and our appreciation of the ordinary. Eighth, and I think this is the, the uh, Will or Robert, I can't remember which one came up with this one today. It adds a wall between us and the experience and enjoyment of actual life. If you're always kind of at a ki- your kid's game or wherever you are, and there's always, you always have to, you, we always have to take a picture and video everything. It's like we're looking at the world through a little plastic wall. And of course we want to capture pictures, and of course we want to take, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm just saying, it, it, it puts a bit of a wall. We have to capture everything, but in all of our efforts, efforts to capture everything, we, we sometimes minimize our ability to actually experience everything. And there's this wall between us and the actual enjoyment of life. Of course that doesn't mean we shouldn't take pictures and take videos. It's just, it just there's a balance in there for the healthy heart. And the nine, and I just think this is absolutely huge and pervasive and just so pervasive that we almost can't even see it is that it just feeds carnality and lust. All of this kind of put together, this broken notion of beauty, this everybody that looks kind of cool and hip and and people that want to look kind of sexy in pictures, um, it's just kind of a, a potential cesspool oftentimes of carnality and lust. I mean, oftentimes, social media platforms like Facebook and others uh, really pave the way for, um, for affairs, for making connections with people who are not your spouse, um, and it paves the way for, for a sin and temptation. So there are some pitfalls for um, social media that I think Christians need to be aware of. But does that mean that we completely reject um, social media? I don't think so. I think it means that we are aware of these pitfalls and we seek to fight them and to redeem social media and to use it like everything else for God's glory. Christians have been wrestling with these issues for the longest of times. People wrestled with whether or not the radio was something Christians should use. They wrestled with whether or not the TV was something Christians should be. They wrestled with you know movie motion pictures they wrestled with the internet all these things and these things both in and of themselves are not evil but can either be used by for evil or for good depending on how we either redeem them or renew them or reject their their uh, sinful uses so some positive uses for social media uh, is one certainly it should be used for encouragement and edification i mean just the ability for christians to have access to resources and to encourage one another and to uh, just just encourage the world around them is obvious and clear and that's something that Christians should set out to do to be an encouragement and to be edifying as they post things and as they um, maybe share things on social media. Secondly, it just helps us to be much more efficient. I mean, getting the word out. I can remember when uh, I went on staff at uh, another church here in town when I got out of the army here, we had this thing called the, when we wanted to notify people of something quickly, there was this little box. It was like a phone tree, and it had everybody's... Do you guys remember these? If you were at another church, they would, it had like a... It was like an automatic dialer, and you could... Like, the secretary of the church would maybe say a note like, hey, you know, Sunday school's canceled today, or I don't know, it's raining, so 
bring your umbrellas. And you would, you would um, which I guess people can kind of figure out by themselves, but anyway, then you would hit a button and it would dial all of these phones. Now you post it on Facebook or other ways you get stuff out, Instagram, and it's a tremendous tool of efficiency and communication, uh, certainly. Uh, texting and all of that is a wonderful way to communicate and it makes life much more efficient. But as it makes life more efficient, let's remember what we read from that quote that it actually we become a slave to the machine because we're always looking at the machine rather than letting the machine serve us. And we need to be uh, aware of that. It's a great tool for efficiency, but it can also be uh, obviously a pitfall for, uh, it can make us, make us tied down to it. Thirdly, clearly, uh, it, although I mentioned that it, it makes us disconnected from the people actually physically present in our world, it has a great ability to make us actually more connected with people who are not geographically close, whether that's family that lives far away or friends that lives far away. We heard a wonderful testimony from Kwame this Sunday night about his witnessing to that Chinese young man named Snake. And I guess there's some app where Kwame and Snake are continuing to have, that was his, not his Chinese name, that was like his kind of American nickname. Kwame and Snake are maintaining connection through some app on their phones where they can chat China and Columbus, Georgia. I mean, praise God for that that positive use of social media. And then fourthly, is clearly it's a a wonderful platform for the gospel to to spread uh, the, the good news of Christ through things that we post, things that we share, things that we link to, um, things that we tweet out. Uh, it is a wonderful platform for the gospel for Christians to, to, uh, to, to use and to use wisely. Some practical encouragements, and then we'll, we'll open it up for maybe questions, comments, is that um, a practical encouragement was, would be that consider regularly, whatever that may be for you, whether that's, you know, a couple hours a day or a particular day during the week or maybe for a longer period, every few months, could you fast from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or text messaging or email? Can you fast from it? Can you just stop it? And would you be like, you know, that guy that just has to, you know, get out and get a smoke because he just just can't, he's just so addicted to nicotine. Are you like that with your phone? Can you turn off your phone and leave it in on your nightstand for a whole evening. Can you, can you leave it in, off for a whole day? Can you not check email for a day? Can you fast from it? If you can't, then if that makes you nervous even thinking about it, then you probably should build a fast, a, a social media fast into your regular rhythm. Secondly, I think we need to establish parameters. Jennifer has busted my chops for this often, where I will be too tied to my phone. It'll be 10.30 at night. I'll be drowsy. I'll get an email. And it's one of those emails that just wakes you up. And I'll hear the ding on my phone. I'll read it. It's 10.30 at night. What is it? Ugh! And she's like, great. Another wonderful night. <laughs> or maybe even conversely, not just late at night, reading something that kind of gets you going or gets your blood pumping or gets you anxious. 
you know, the, you, got a, you got your phone on the nightstand, and the first thing you do when you roll out of bed is you check your email or Facebook, and what are, you, what are we doing to our souls? It's like the last thing we do before we go to bed at night is we check Facebook or email, and the first thing we do when we get up is we check Facebook or email, and it, it just, friends, it just has a deadening effect on our soul because it makes us so tuned in to everything out here and it just seems to kind of dilute and dampen our our attention here and Jennifer has oftentimes said like that Bob Newhart skit you know when he's counseling that person just stop it two words for you Brad stop it and so we need to, I think, establish parameters. Consider turning your phone off. Consider only having certain hours in the day when you maybe check Facebook or whatever. Um, thirdly, practical encouragements. Uh, men, listen to me on this. Consider having joint access to your Facebook account. If you're the type of guy, listen, this is very serious. I, I've been in that room about 50 yards that way in my office over the years with many people who have um, shipwrecked their marriage because of the anonymity and the, the, the isolation of the internet, Facebook, and connecting with people that are not their spouse. If you can't leave your phone laying around and you're scared that maybe somebody will text you or your wife can pull up your Facebook profile and you have an email from somebody, man, if that is you, r- like right now, the Holy Spirit, I think, would say to you, flee, flee, flee from, as we read this Sunday when we looked at lust, don't think that just a little flirting with an old classmate or a person that you work with, that you're starting this little text conversation with or a little Facebook chat with, don't think that that little baby tiger that you bring into your room and you call it fluffy and you just pet it and act like it's okay, don't be surprised when that baby tiger grows up and eats you and your marriage alive. And if that's somebody in this room right now, that if men, if you cannot leave your phone laying out for your wife to pick up and use, if you can't hand your phone, if you can't show somebody a picture on your phone and if your heart is beating because you're scared that they might scroll, scroll through these pictures and they might see something that you don't want them to see, men and women, the Holy Spirit would say to you right now, flee and repent and bring that into the light and, 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 and call that tiger what it is and do something about it, even tonight. Even tonight. Open ourselves up to accountability. And then finally, um, I think we should exercise wisdom in what we post, Right? Our speech should be gracious. Um, I think that if we're ultra-conservative politically, we should be very respectful of people who might not agree with us politically. And I think that I think vitriol um, about President Obama or something or this or that or people that might be rioting in some poor neighborhood in a big city and then just firing off. So I think it's just I think it's just so unhelpful. 
I think we should just be wise in what we post and what we say and how we present ourselves socially because the world is looking at Christians to know, to see whether or not their speech will be seasoned with salt and whether or not they will be people that meditate on those things which are good and pure and holy and right and just. Of course, it doesn't mean that we don't take courageous, bold, even at times sharp stances for righteousness. But it means that we should exercise wisdom in what we post. Okay, with that, um, any comments, questions, points, pushbacks? Anybody at all? I thought you were coming up here again to take another picture. (laughs) Anybody at all? Yes, Paul, thank you. This is a courtesy one for Paul's prime of the pump, getting us going a little bit. You're doing a great job. Thank you. (laughs) Could you, um, it's a little hot, it's a little hot. Could you... um, (laughs) Maybe perhaps like one of the most beneficial things for me uh, in social media has been connecting with um, influential Christians mm-hmm. who are regularly putting out material and stuff like that that is very, very helpful um, to me in my sanctification walk with yeah. the Lord. Could you maybe just kind of give your top four uh, or five, yeah. you know, people that you would say, you know, if you want to kind of make your news feed a little more mm-hmm. edifying? Um, to to follow, you know these these people. That's a great question. Um, I'd say I would say people and maybe ministries. Um, I, I love John Piper. Um, he he posts wonderful stuff. The Gospel Coalition Facebook page is outstanding. It is a it's a it's like a clearinghouse of just great resources. So if you're not if you haven't liked the Gospel Coalition page, it is a wonderful collection of articles. Um, blog posts, links to just super helpful resources, I would say that. There's a guy in Canada whose name is Tim Chalise. He's a uh, Christian blogger, and he, again, has a kind of a ministry of uh, faithfully connecting and just sort of being a sort of clearinghouse of all a bunch of good resources that he links to on his blog that then he will tweet out and, 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 and uh, Facebook out. So the Gospel Coalition... John Piper, uh, Desiring God, they, you know, John Piper, and, John Piper and Desiring God, Tim Ch- Chalice, or Chalice, C-H-L-L-I-E-S, is wonderful. Um, and then uh, I love uh, Russell Moore, Dr. Russell Moore is excellent, and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, just wonderful resources. Those would probably be my four, I can't think of a fifth necessarily, but that's a great question, yeah. Good, good, good call. Anybody, Robert and Will, do you guys have any that you, um, Robert, I mean, Paul, do you have any that you, how would, anybody that I've left off that, that you were hoping I'd say, or? No, those are, I mean, those yeah. are actually my kind of four. Yeah. Yeah. Any, Cindy, down front. In regards to children that are, Teenage. Yeah. Oof. 
You know, we have... <laughs> I hear you, sister. I just, you know, I mean, I'm not sure that Philip and I agree equally on the children's privacy and everything, but, yeah. you know, this essence that you have to get the super data pack and you've yeah. got to do this, and believe me, if I figured out how to turn it off, they've figured out how to turn it back on, but just some either solid grounding or filters or... Yeah. yeah reality of that that privacy you know i feel like what you addressed was so much for adults yeah but the notion of what these children are being exposed to mm -hmm. will i i'd love for will to speak to that um i would just say as will's getting the mic is that um i, I just would advocate i think you have to set a culture in your house that your child knows that you have access to everything that they are able to see and it, certainly there are two filters that I would recommend. Uh, XXXChurch.com, XXXChurch.com is a website that has some f filters to put on smartphones and internets. It's not a filter. It's actually, oh, it is a filter. And then CovenantEyes.com has, um, uh, is a, a filter as well. That's what we use, CovenantEyes.com. You do have, a, it's a monthly cost that you have to do with that. But yeah, we'll, they can do the phone, the iPad, the computer, everything. Yeah, and they're not perfect, but um, they do cost, depending on the number of devices that you may use. CovenantEyes.com and XXXChurch.com. I know that sounds like a scandalous website, but it's actually a Christian ministry. Um, XXXChurch.com. Um, they actually named it that website because they wanted people to come across it as they were typing in, you know, things like that. Um, we use Covenant Eyes, and it, yes, it does. It does. Yeah. Will? Yeah, Cindy, the only thing that, that I would add to that, and I think you hit the, the nail on the head, as soon as you come up with a filter. I mean, here's the thing. If we want to sin, we sin. Um, the, there are always ways to get around a lot of the preven preventative measures we can put. That doesn't mean we don't do that, but I, I think the, the most important stopgap for parents in protecting their children, social media, internet, it, all sorts of things, things like this, um, I think it obviously begins with a relationship with them. And I don't think it has to, I don't think it has to follow the, if you're under my house, it's my phone, so it's going to sit here. I'm not saying you can't say that, but, but I think if you're trying to foster a relationship, I think it's more of a sitting down at the kitchen table, here's the deal, here's what's out there. And you know we love you, and you know that we want to protect your heart. It's not that we want to steal privacy from you. It is our goal that as you continue to grow up, you become more independent and more able to leave our home in a way that would edify the gospel. However, we know that God has, as your parents, called us to watch out for you, protect you, e even from, from things that you things you know and things you don't. As it, about a year ago, Karen Ann and I did a, a little parent meeting for all the middle school and high school uh, parents, and we should do another one of those again. I've got kind of a list of tips, but if I could just give you a couple. Um, any phone that has a camera, you should assume that your child can do the worst with, and any phone that has internet access, which are all of them now. Um, and so one thing that we heavily advocate for two reasons is that there's a time of day, when, whenever that is, based on the rhythm of your family life, where there is a place where all of the children's phones, if they have them, go. And that at any point in the day, mom or dad can say, hey, let me, let me grab your phone real quick. 
And it's not because I don't trust you. It's because I was you. It's because there are a lot of things out there. It's because I love you. And so I, I think those two rules are very, very beneficial because a kid can't get around that. They, don't get me wrong. They can erase pictures and they can do all that if they know mom and dad check the phone at 8.30 every night. But if you have the ability to pick it up. And then the other benefit of picking a time at night to put it down is, you know, as a family, you have undistracted time together when things aren't bling. And, and I think a great example is for the parents to do that as well. Um, so maybe an hour, hour and a half before everything settles down, everybody's phone hits silent and finds a common place in the kitchen or something like that. Yeah. There, there are a million other things, but I, I think that's one of the best first steps. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Maddie, is, that, is your hand up? Or you, okay, yeah. Um, oh gosh. (laughs) So when I was in middle school, I was kind of like on Instagram a lot and I ended up getting, uh, not like the girl that you mentioned, like hundreds of thousands, but I had almost 10,000 followers and going through like being insecure and trying to find out who I was, it was just kind of all the pressure of comparing yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I guess this is just a comment of like how I kind of went through that of just never really feeling like I was pretty enough or yeah. my life was cool enough or just trying to put out what I thought other people would like. Mm-hmm. And then I just tossed, uh, trashed all that and I started focusing on what I actually thought I would like and trying to find out who I was instead of just like finding out who I was through the approval of others. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Maddie, what you, I'm so glad you shared that. And that was, I think, the most powerful and poignant thing that's been said tonight. Thank you. Uh, uh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Praise God. Anybody else um, have any thoughts? comments going once going twice well in conclusion let's be um, let's be people that um, redeem the time because the days are evil Uh, if you're a man in this room or a woman in this room that the Holy Spirit is convicted tonight because maybe like Maddie has so courageously shared that you are living for this faux digital approval and you need to repent of that tonight, do that. Maybe if you're on the brink of ruining your marriage or your integrity because of what you're involved in on the internet or in some sort of relationship digitally and you need to and you're a man in this room and your chest is beating really, really hard and you're wondering if I know about you. I don't. But the Holy Spirit does. Look, I, I, I've, I've been in those similar situations decades ago. And I've been in rooms where stuff like this has been discussed and my heart has almost beat out of my chest because I thought, thought he was going to call my name 
If, if that's you, young man, don't, don't keep petting that tiger. It will eat you alive. Bring it into the light where the sun of God's grace will burn it up. And then let's be people that glorify God. Whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, parentheses, or post on Facebook or on Instagram, do it all to the glory of God. Let's, let's encourage one another in that. Lord, as we close tonight, God, I pray for your grace. What a, what a, uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of lights. With him, there's no variation or shadow of turning. Lord, thank you that you have made us alive in 2015. Thank you that you've given us ways that Kwame can share the gospel with snake on the other side of the world. Thank you that uh, that Muslims are clicking links on computers and watching videos of gospel presentations in their own language and coming to faith in Jesus. Thank you that people are on the brink of suicide and stumble across uh, gospel-saturated posts on social media and are turned from their despair and put their hope in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that the message of the gospel is it gets out more rapidly as a result of these gifts that you have given mankind. But yet, Lord, we are aware that we are broken people, that this world is twisted and will mangle and distort gifts and grace. And we are aware that we are prone to drink from that gutter water. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us think wisely about these things, that we would redeem the time because the days are evil, and that we would rightly engage these things that you have given, and that we would use them for your glory and our joy. And I pray this wisdom for all of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I've enjoyed this five weeks. We're not meeting next Wednesday night or for the rest of the year, unless you're a young adult and you uh, are meeting at Will's house next Wednesday night. Praise God. See you guys Sunday.